Testing, testing, she's back. Hello again, friends, and welcome to Tea Time with Trish. I'm your host, Trisha Clark, and I'm so glad you're here with me. It's been a few weeks since we released a new episode, but I wanted to take my time getting this conversation ready to share with you. Today, we're talking with Constance Mack Latham, a real-life friend and former colleague of mine who I met about 10 years ago and I have been inspired by ever since. Constance is a business owner, artist, licensed esthetician, wife, mother, and woman of faith, and she has amazing personal style. And I'm so grateful our paths crossed years ago working for the same cosmetics company and that we've stayed in touch. Thank you, Instagram. During the course of our conversation, we also discover even more similarities that we share, like how we parent and how our spouses balance our personalities. But the reason I wanted to take my time in getting this episode transferred from an IG Live to a podcast episode is that my friend Constance is black, and our conversation was recorded in the summer of 2020, when America was fraught with tension as people took to the streets to protest police brutality in the wake of the murder of George Floyd at the hands of a police officer in Minneapolis. Protests were happening all over the world, and they were peaceful and brought together all kinds of people who united and marched to demand change, to policing, but also to deep systemic injustices embedded in almost every part of American life. Now, I can only speak for myself, but for me personally, it was a time of great awakening. I had my eyes open to the reality of how different life is for black and brown people in the United States, and now that I see, I can't go back to ignorance. I can't stay quiet about what needs to change in my country and in our world. If you've been around Tea Time for a while, you know that I've shared that I'm a Christian, and I believe that all people are made in the image of God. We are all image bearers. But I look around and I see that the systems in place in my city, my state, my country, they're not set up to treat people equally. And as I began to listen to the voices of black men and women, both that I know in real life and that I am learning from online, I started to realize how very tired they are. They have been in this fight for so long. They have been asking us white Americans to understand the reality of systemic racism and how that affects every part of life, healthcare, housing, jobs, careers, education, religion. It's a lot. In this conversation, I share how I used to bristle at the term white privilege because I didn't understand what it meant. And maybe you're like me, and you had a similar awakening this past summer as you watched the news of George Floyd's murder and Breonna Taylor's and Ahmaud Arbery's. Stuck at home, isolated from our normal routines due to COVID, for the first time, we collectively could not look away. Or maybe, friends, maybe you're already getting mad at some of the words and terms you've heard me use just in the last few minutes. If that's the case, can I ask you to keep listening? I was in your shoes once. I did not see how deep the tangled roots of racism are in the soil of American life. And over this summer, I prayed for God to break my heart for what breaks his, not knowing what that would look like. And now, well, I'm standing in a different place now, and I want to share with you some of the things that I've learned. One of the women I learn a lot from is black midwife and activist Cecily Smith. She has a saying, to get rid of the weed, we must pull it up by the root. Let's uproot the system and plant a seed that bears fruit. 
One of the best ways I know to plant new seeds is to take in and then share information, whether it's in the form of conversations, books, sermons, or podcasts. I want new ideas to take root in our hearts and lives so we can witness a flourishing for all image bearers. I want to not be afraid to ask hard questions, and I definitely need to be better at listening, even, well, actually, especially if the answers make me uncomfortable. So let's get into my conversation with Constance. You will hear us reference the events from the day before this recording. We keep saying, like, well, then yesterday or after yesterday, because the yesterday that we're talking about was August 10th, 2020. This was the day that groups of rioters looted downtown Chicago and many parts of the city, resulting in businesses being destroyed, some closing temporarily and some permanently. But even more catastrophically, the actions of some distracted from the much larger and peaceful protests that had been taking place in Chicago, the suburbs around the country, and around the world. After the events of that day, Constance posted a heartfelt message on her Instagram, and in the conversation that you'll hear next, she recounts some of what she shared in that message. On top of all of that, August 10th also saw a derecho tear through parts of the Midwest. Now, that was a word I'd never heard, but it's a widespread, long-lived, straight-line windstorm. It's like a tornado with no funnel. August 10th was wild, by every definition. I wasn't sure if Constance would be willing or able to talk to me as we'd planned on the 11th, but I'm so glad she did. So I'm going to stop talking now so we can get to the point of this episode. (laughs) Please get yourself situated so that you can be ready to listen and learn from my friend, Constance Mack Latham. For those of you who haven't met my friend Constance, she is the owner of Maven Aesthetics, which is in Chicago's Gold Coast, and it is a beautiful studio where she does everything brow related to from microblading to brow waxing, and you even expanded your space a couple years ago. I'm so excited to hear your story of opening your business and what that looked like, but also just as I've you know, watched you through Instagram and as the things that you've shared, just to kind of hear your journey of faith and motherhood and things like that. But I would love to just to start by hearing, you know, you own Maven Aesthetics. Did you always have a dream of owning your own business or when did that seed first get planted? I never had a dream of owning my own business, but I always felt like I was going to do something special. I would joke around and say, I don't feel like I'm mediocre. Like no one's mediocre. I didn't really know what that meant when I was a kid. Like everyone thinks they're going to be like a singer. And then I thought I was going to be an actress. I, I didn't know like what that was, but I felt like I had a message that, that was like bigger than just like every day, like just, you know, day to day. Um, but, you know, you get older and you just realize that like life is like the things you see on TV, it's not realistic. Um, and you just start actually like living your life. Um, yeah. And so I didn't even realize that like when I was a kid, the seed was like already planted and I just, I just lived and just went through so many different things. And like looking back at it now, I didn't realize that all those years was just like part of my process and like part of God's plan that was just perfectly lined up for me because he knew what it was going to be before I did. So it was not, if someone would have told me when I was in high school that I would have, I would be doing brow, like like, that would be in the beauty industry and and this is, this is, would be my way. I would have never, I would have, even when I was in aesthetic school, actually, um, 
like 10, I was 27 when I went to aesthetic school. Okay. Industry for a long time. And I remember maybe halfway through my program, my teacher would have a lot of her different friends come in. And that was a, a really big part of my program because I got to see business owners or trainers that were already out in the field and yeah. in a completely different light than what I saw in the beauty industry, like a whole nother level. And I remember uh, her name is Beata Luberta. She is like amazing. Um, I remember she came in and we watched her do a, a chemical peel and I was just like in awe. And she's like, you're going to help people like, but you're not going to do this. I'm like, kind of like, I could just be like in wellness. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't wrap my head around that at that point. Yeah, we are like all these years later, I think about so many different things and how little nuggets are just like dropped. And if you just pay attention to it, like it, it leads you somewhere. Yeah, I think of it as like little threads being woven into the tapestry of your life. But when they're happening, when they're first coming in, you don't you don't realize that that's going to introduce you to the next person or introduce you to an idea or a possibility, because it's the same. Like it, it turns out that I get to do what I love. But if you had told me in high school, this is what my job would be, I couldn't I, I wouldn't have been able to wrap my head around it. I didn't think it was possible. So you went to school. So you started aesthetic school when you were 27. And then when you finished, where were you? So when I finished, I, so backtrack, um, in high school, I was an art major. And my mom's like, I'm not paying for you to go to school to paint. And it was, <laughs> it was 20 years ago. It, it was totally different. So the next best thing was fashion. So I decided to go to school for fashion merchandising. And okay. most of my friends were leaving to go to college. And I, I never saw myself like away for school. I'm a city girl. So I always felt like I just, I remember visiting a couple of my friends that are a year older than me at college um, at U of I. And I was like, this is where you live. This is the dorm. Like you're just sleeping in this little bed. Like, like <laughs> I'm good. So I, experience I'm I'm so glad I had it because had I not I would have just gone with the norm of what everyone did around me and so yeah. I oh, that's not for me um so I, I I started art school but before I started art school I went to community college for a year because I had my son and I realistically knew that I, I knew I would have had to leave school my freshman year and so I waited it was a really rocky time for me um, because my aunt, I was her caretaker. And so she was getting really, there was a whole lot happening around me that kind of distracted me from what the end goal was supposed to be. In the middle of all of that, my teacher, my aunt had just passed away. And one of my teachers got me a job. She used to be a buyer for Neiman Marcus. And she got me a job. And she's like, go here, go to Neiman's, tell them I sent you. And they literally hired me on the spot. So I will tell anybody, it paid relationships and, and doing the right thing, like, it trumps, I don't care how many degrees you have, like it, it has, it, it, it goes so much deeper than that. So I got this job and I fell in love with the beauty industry, mainly because even with my discount, I cannot afford anything at Neiman Marcus. But I can afford <laughs> so for me to feel like I could leave out with my Neiman Marcus bag, I would always go down to the cosmetic department because that's the only thing that I could afford. And I was like, yeah. well, a whole nother, it, it was a whole different world. Yeah. Oh, that's how I got into um, working in cosmetics. And I was I was at Neiman's for a little while. I left. I got a job working across um, at Nordstrom, up at Nordstrom for a few years. And then one of the women that worked for at Nordstrom for Chanel, she left and went to Saks. And she came down to 
Nordstrom one day to visit. And she's like, oh my God, you should come down and work at sex. I'm like, they're not gonna hire me. She's like, yes, they will t- go down, say my name again, those relationships. I got interviewed at sex on the spot. And I worked at Saks until I lost my job um, at the end of 2009, coming into 2010. At that point, Blooming Dose was ready to hire me. And I was thinking realistically about, I had seen so many people lose their jobs in front of me prior to me losing my job. And I knew that the beauty industry was never going to be the same again. And I could have just like kept in that pattern. But I remember asking my um, Bobby Brown trainers, like, I want to do, I want to go to fashion week. I want to do all these things. They would always say, you have to get your aesthetics license. But yeah. there was never a chance to do that. So losing my job was like a blessing in disguise because I took time and I just went to school. I had hardly no money. Like we were like, my, like Adonis, he took care. Like it was just, we, were, we weren't struggling, but it was a time where like shedding myself of everything because I knew that like this was, this is where I needed to be. Fast forward, I graduated. I knew leaving aesthetic school, I was going to have a job right after this. Oddly enough, I was on my way to Blue Mercury on Hostet. I got off the train at Armitage. I'm coming down Armitage to get to Hostet. It started raining a little bit, and I get this awning, and I look, and I'm like, what is this? Because Benefit at that point was like, I had ne- I heard of it, but it wasn't on my radar. Like, I used La Mira like it was Jergens because I worked at SAC. So I was used to a different atmosphere, but... When I worked at Nordstrom and when I worked at Saks, I was literally the youngest person. Like there was no one that looked like me that was my age. White, black didn't matter. Like everyone was older. I thought it was a career. Like they, it was a completely different atmosphere. So I see young people and I'm like, wait, what is this? And I walked in. Everyone, it, it was just a vibe that I had never seen before. And I'm like, well, I was actually on my way to an interview. I gave them my resume. And Sarah Bannister happened to be in the store that day. She looked over my resume and she's like, can you come to the Damon store later? They interviewed me a second time. And right after they had just got back from opening that New York, um, the Soho boutique, I started. I never would have thought that I was on my way to one place to work and, you know, be an esthetician, try to start this new thing. And I ended up right back at my roots where I was able to take the skills that I had just learned and apply them to benefit. Well, and that is how Constance and I met because we were working for Benefit Cosmetics at the same time, but we were at different stores. I think there was only one day that we got to work together when you came to help at Southport, right? You, was it just one time or yep. did I get you twice? Um, uh, I came there twice, but there was only one time that I was there with you. I was overwhelmed from a beauty bash the night before. And I had to get right back up and come to work. And I walk in the door and they're like, we need you to go to Southport to cover a ship. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so I literally didn't even take off my coat. And I got on the train. And Adonis had just pulled off. We only had one car at that time. It had just pulled off. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, where the hell do I even get there? I walked in your store and I was like, wow, I like her. I like this. Place. It, it was just a, I love my store. But it was just a different, a different order that, yeah. that that was more like I'm very regimented. I'm very boom, boom, boom. And I was like, I had never seen anybody that was like that that same way. It was cool. 
I took great pride in the cleanliness of that store. And I, my girls knew I was tough, but like I'd be down on the floor cleaning stuff too. And that's what I remember. You were cleaning the treatment room at the end and you were so methodical. And I was like, Constance, I love this. And you were like, I would like to come and work here. This is great. And you were wiping stuff down. And it was, you saved us that day because if people have never been in a benefit boutique, and I think it's probably different now, but at the time that we worked there on a Saturday, it was from the minute you opened till the minute you closed, it was back to back appointments. And I had never worked in a in a place that was combination makeup boutique and treatments. And so there was constantly so much going on that to have, I don't even remember who called in sick that day, but it was like, this can't happen. Like I can't have, I can't call 25 appointments and cancel them for the day. So you saved us that day and I'm so glad it gave us a chance to meet face to face and now to have seen you go from that. So when you left Benefit, was it because you were ready to open your own thing? to fill in that gap for me from leaving Benefit to opening Maven Aesthetic. Again, like even at Benefit, like I want to retire. Like I love, like I, I bled pink working at Benefit. Like I love working at Benefit. Um, I think as time went on and, you know, they got, they were more into the, the corporate aspect of LVMH. It kind of, it lost something. And so a lot of what I felt like we worked so hard for because like, like you said, I was willing to like get on my knees and scrub because you were right there with me doing the same thing. So it's like a lot of that leadership that we were used to having, um, it, it turned into, it, we turned into a number. Um, mm. Like after you left Benefit, it was like Southport was like one of the biggest stores compared to us. But there was no other store that compared to Armitage outside of San Francisco. We were like a counter by like May every year. And it just kept going. It was like it was never enough. And it got to the point for me that mentally I was starting to kind of get there. But I didn't know. I didn't know what that what else that meant for me. And I just I was a workaholic and I didn't even try to be a workaholic. So the entire time that I worked at Benefit, I never lost sight of the fact that I was still an esthetician first. Working at Benefit, you know, Benefit's a cosmetic, it's a beauty brand, and we just happen to do services. So a lot of education and things like that, unless you did it on your own, you didn't have that. So even though I worked at Benefit on the weekends or, you know, I you know, you have to keep up with CEU hours and all those things, I would always take classes. So even though we offer certain services at Benefit, I always... I'm one of those people where I always want to know like what's happening. And I think that was just in me from the beauty industry, from the fashion industry. I just always want to know what's happening. So I, I remember hearing about microblading back in 2014. And I was like, wow, this service looks awesome. But what is this service? I remember just reaching out to different people. And then it came back full circle because I would take um, Dr. Stephen Diane, um, True University in the Water Tower. A lot of medical estheticians take a lot of classes there. That's where I interned when I was in school. And so I would go there to take a lot of classes. And so I had a relationship with them. So I reached out to them like, hey, I'm trying to figure out what this is. Is this something that you guys will offer? And they're like, no, but we're, we're, we're looking into it. So fast forward a year when I was like, I really want to take this class. Maybe like I'll just like on, on a Christmas break or whenever I get time, I just want to take it because it was the next best thing to browse that I had never seen that I could offer to somebody one day. I just really wanted to kind of know what it was about. I, I didn't register tattooing until um, I got someone reached out to me. I'm like, yeah, this is actually, 
Because I would ask my tattoo friends, and they're like, no, that's not a tattoo, because that's, it wasn't something that they did. And so they reached out to me, and they told me it was microblading, and that they were hiring a, uh, a trainer to come in under them to teach it. And so I learned this back in 2015. I was still working at Benefit at that time. And so it was just another one of those classes that I took that it was just kind of like under my belt. Um, it turned out that I had um, tendonitis in my wrist and I had, bi and then they did all these different tests and the EKGs and it turned out I had bilateral carpal tunnel. And they were like, you need a plan. You, we can fix this, but you can't continue to work the way that you are. And so um, I had to be off of work. They had to give me a series of cortisone shots, but I had to be off for a period of time for them to work. And fast forward a few weeks, I remember, you know, I was writing down the pros and cons about like, okay, do I go back full time or do I just like let it go? Do I want my wrist or do I not? And my son walked up to me. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm writing out the pros and the cons like the, about like if I should do, he was like 12, like, like literally like 12 at the time. And he's like, well, why not? Like, why not do it? And I was like, oh, okay. And, and I think the support of him and my husband just saying, you know, you know where you can go back to, but if, if something doesn't work out, but you'll never give it a chance if you don't try it. Microblading was not on my radar as, like, as a service. It was just like brows still. At the time this conversation was recorded, Constance had a very successful brow studio in a set of studio suites in Chicago's Gold Coast, where she offered a variety of brow services from waxing and threading to tinting and microblading. Word spread about her amazing brow services and her business continued to grow, so much so that she expanded her studio, doubling its size. Constance persevered through the challenges of having to temporarily close her studio in the summer of 2020 in response to the events that were taking place in Chicago that I referred to earlier. But then in February of 2021, she experienced a new set of challenges, forcing her to leave the space that she had invested in. Because she's currently navigating legal recourse, I'm not going to share any details, but I would encourage you to follow her journey and support her as she prepares to reopen her business in a new location. You will hear as we continue talking just how strong and resilient Constance is, and I know that this next chapter in her story is going to be even more incredible. I truly have no doubt that God has great plans for this woman, and I'm grateful to be able to witness her journey. So now let's dive back into my conversation with Constance MacLatham as we discuss how motherhood forced us to discover new depths of strength and how faith continues to play a role in shaping Constance's outlook. What would you say you're most proud of with, with where you are right now in terms of your career? I'm most proud of the people that I don't think I reach. So a lot of times I think because I'm not getting recognition um, from like, we all think that there's like a certain amount of recognition that we deserve. And a lot of times, you know, when you're quiet, you do kind of get looked over. And so I would feel like, you know, is this really, am I doing the right thing? Um, am I really, am I really, you know, reaching someone? And it's, it's those people that you, the days where I'm just kind of like, just going about the motions of day to day when someone comes in and they're about to go through chemotherapy and they're about to lose their hair. And so they're like, you know, you, you changed my life. You helped me to like have a sense of self. Or every now and then, like when one of my little cousins where I'm like, oh my God, these knuckleheads, they don't listen to me or my little sisters. 
but those like small little moments where it's like small things that I realize that like I'm planting a seed that they may not get in the moment, but they'll like say something or I'll see them out or they'll post something and I'll know that like it's in reference to something that we talked about and that I've done. So it's like those moments where it has like not when you're in the limelight or like the magazine covers, like the Instagram likes, but the moments when for me it was like, am I really, is this bigger than me? And then those moments when I'm like kind of reminded of it. Yeah. Well, and again, that's that you, I'm hearing you say again, that it's, it's relationships. And so it's, you know, something that you said to a cousin, you think you didn't get through to them, but it comes out later and they have been working through whatever you shared and they, they were paying attention and a client, you know, you go and you think you'll have some days that are going to be amazing. And then other days where it's just routine, but you made a difference to someone you might not even know it that day, but then yeah, you find out later that that was, and I think in some ways, and I know that you're a woman of faith, like that's where I feel like you show up and you do your part and then God's going to use that. However, we might not know that part of his plan. And sometimes you get the joy of having it come back to you in the form of thanks or whatever, but maybe you don't. And then that's okay that you don't, you were just doing what you're called to do and, and being faithful to, you know, the career that's more than a career. And, and it is sure wonderful when people come back and tell you like, yeah, that was what you needed to hear, what they needed to hear that day. So that's wonderful. Um, Do you think that, I mean, I love hearing that it was your son who said like, why not go for it? Do you think that being a mom has made you better at being a business owner or vice versa? Do you see those threads interwoven really strongly? Sure. Um, definitely because I was just two years older than Nasir right now when I had Nasir. And so that age difference when he's four and five, it doesn't seem so close. And I think I'm such a serious person. Like I have a sense of humor and I'm really cool, but I can be like, for that, like, if you don't know me, you might be like, dang, what's wrong? Um, and so with, with him growing up, I like literally treated him like a person. Like I would like talk, like I'm talking to you. And um, as he got older, like he's always just been like this amazing kid. And I would all, and I felt like I needed to be the, I needed to be the mirror of what he saw in Adonis. We needed to be the mirrors of what he needed to see in order to like, you know, be. Cause like, I didn't, I never wanted to just like force him or put, or, or put my opinions on him. Like, if he, whatever he wanted to do, like one day he wanted archery lessons and then he wanted to like ice skate and people were like, oh, is he going to play hockey? I'm like, nope, he just wants to ice skate and I'm just going, he was in gymnastics, like anything he wanted to make beats when he was like 11. So I always like whatever he wanted to do, like we didn't limit him to anything. When he wanted to play basketball, I'm like, damn, this kid is like a horrible basketball. But I was like, I can't tell, like whatever he wanted. And then as he got older, it like left the room for him to know that like whatever you want, whatever you want to do in your life, like you can do it. And so when he, it was when he started to play football, he came to us in eighth grade. Um, You get like, you're already accepted into high school and then you get to figure out like what sports and things you want to do. And in order to play football, you go to camp like that summer before school starts. And it's like, he came to us, he's like, I want to play football. And we're like, you're not playing football. Like, absolutely not. And he's like, no, please, I really want to do it. So we let him do it. And he was really, really good. And it was like, it was a shock to me. But at the same time, I was like, dang, why is this a shock? If I always told him, like, if he wants something, you know, it's yours. 
And he, he shocked me. And that was at the point where I was like, at this point, as he's getting older, I've taught him so many things by my actions, but now I'm backtracking on that. My actions aren't lining up with where he is and what the, the things that he wants to go through. So it, it, it kind of like reversed where he started teaching me. Like I started to see myself as he got older um, and him. And maybe by like sophomore year, like he was playing varsity and as he got big, like as he's, he's, he's growing and he looks more like my husband. And so I'm like, literally I'm, I'm having flashbacks to like that time in my life. And it was, I, 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 it, I went, it was a dark place for me because I went back to like just being a teenager, being a girl, being vulnerable, wanting to be loved, want all these things. And I was like, no, like I have to be a, I have to be strong for him because I overcame all those things. And so he was, he was like, he was my biggest teacher. He was my biggest lesson. And I think that it, seeing him and me not wanting to miss games, me wanting to be a part of everything. And when I was at Benefit, it was something that I couldn't do. And now I'm on my own. Um, I, I started Maven Aesthetics his eighth grade year um, when I, like, I knew that tuition. I'm like, okay, tuition's finally over. I can, like, I can do this now, and I can, I can have a clear head if, like, if I'm not making it right now, it's okay. Um, so I started, and I, there, was, like, there was no excuses for me. And so I, in, in order for me to like, train him to be like, not even train him to be this young adult, I had to, I had to, like, I had to keep going because what I was as his mom when he was younger was a little bit different because he's seeing me in a completely different light. I'm seeing him in a completely different light. And definitely um, I had to kind of like show him. It's like, I never asked him, I never asked of him anything that I wouldn't ask of me. And so me in business and him seeing me like, like when he gets up for school, I'm up for school. I work out, I take him to school. Like I, by the time I pick him up, like we're coming home, we're, we're so involved that, he has, for me personally, a lot of times you kind of tell your kids what to do, but if you just show them by your experience and being in it, it's like they have, not like they don't have a choice, but it makes them, it makes them want to do certain things. And so he def it definitely helped me to keep going in order to like know that like for him, like it's real. Like a lot of times you tell your kids like, no, if you do this, do this, but it's like he literally... I used to kind of feel embarrassed like around his friends, parents, because I was so much younger, but I'm so blessed now because he can still see me and I'm older, but he can still see me on a level where his life is attainable because he see, he still sees me attaining things. Mm -hmm. I love that. So when did that start happening? When did you have your faith strengthened and realize that you have to kind of let him go? This past year. Okay. Um, 16. It was, it was leading up to like before that, but every, I'm like, he's like, it's just my hormones. And I'm just like, he was just always in his room, just kind of like, dang, come talk to me. Like what's going on? Um, and I remember I had, I was always just kind of like trying to force, not like force myself, but I'm like, I'm the cool parent. Like, come on. Like, like and he was just kind of like, no lady, I'm good. And, um, as he, you know, he grows up, you know, and probably when he was in elementary school, like he talked about play dates. Like I knew all of his parents, like friends, it, I knew everything. So nothing was, it was kind of like, um, we gave him freedom to just be. And then you realize in high school, it's not the same. Like you're not dropping them off. Like no one's calling the house. Like they around 
so many different things. And for me, it was always, as long as let me know where you are and let me know what's happening. And then, you know, kids get into trouble and like small things, but it's like, you see your kid in this light that like, he is just never gonna do anything. And like, even the smallest thing to you is like, what? Cause like, I, like he was never spanked. Like he, he never did. It was like, it was kind of crazy. He just never did anything wrong. And then the minute that he did, it could have been just talking back and I'm, and I would go crazy, not crazy, but cause you don't see that you don't, I didn't leave room. I left room for mistakes, but because he didn't have any mistakes, I forgot that like kids will make mistakes. And I think that I was trying to force my love on him so much that pushed him away from me more and more to the point that it made me kind of sad. I had to realize, my husband would say it to me, but I don't have any brothers. So I, I didn't really process like what was happening. And the more and more I felt that disconnect, the more and more I prayed and the more and more I just started just like getting more into just the word. And I was like, wow, like this is so, I talk about this with everybody else. I forgot that like this also pertains to my own son. And I had to, when I let go of that attack, and I know that like I did, I, I'm doing the right thing and I got to leave room for anything. Those things that you're kind of afraid of may never even happen. And if they do, it's like, I know that he, I know he's in a good place. Yeah. So you just mentioned that Adonis would remind you and my husband has to do that too. Like I, I it's, I don't know. It's like parenting is different than what I expected. And so I'm grateful for his perspective. Um, to just kind of balance me when, because I think I go too hard on Jack because he, we've also not had to discipline him that much. And so then when it happens, you're like, what? wait, what is this? Like, why are you talking back? And so what other ways do you think um, Adonis strengthens you and how do you strengthen Adonis? Like, what are some of the best things of your partnership? One of the best ways he strengthens me is that he never tried to change me. He lets me just be. If you know me and if you know Adonis, we are complete opposites. Like Adonis will chill. Like I'm like, hey, like we are so polar. He is just like, he is Switzerland. He is, if you came to him and knocked him upside the head with a brick, he's going to be like, but you got to understand based off of where he was here, this is why he hit me in the head with the brick. And I'm just like, no, he hit you with a brick. Like that's Adonis. And even though like I'm a, fi I'm a firecracker, but my firecracker sometimes could be a bad thing because it takes a, like, you have to, I'm a right from, I'm a right and wrong person. And when you wrong somebody that the hit, like, like it takes a lot for me to go there, but I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a real, I'm real compassionate about like people and, and doing good by people. And I had to learn that I had to take a step back and see myself and, 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 and look at a bigger picture and situation. So he definitely helped me in that regard. And he, he, he gave me the freedom to just be me. I remember like I have tattoos. Adonis has like one tattoo from college, but I remember I would come home like trying to like hide tattoos and he's like, I don't care. So it's like, he never, he, whenever I would go to like his holiday parties, I'd be like, oh, like, cause everyone's like the same. But to him, it was like, he just loves, he always has just like loved me for me. And he, and he gives me the room and the freedom to be me. Like, even though we're married, like I, I I'm, I'm still, I'm still, he, he lets me be me. And, and, vice versa. and I, it grounds me, but at the same time, I, I, I push that out, that fire sometimes out of him. Like, so yeah. have a little bit, and, but he grounds me to say no, just because for a while, I kind of, I kind of complimented him and I mirrored him.
and I was and I felt like I was missing something but it was like we need that that balance came back so that's cool. I didn't realize how many similarities that you and I have with our partners and we're kind of like that too. And when I tried to be more subdued, it didn't feel like me. And I've had to learn, like, I can still be the high energy one, but understand when to have a balance and like maybe not to act on my first thought, um, process stuff for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Give, give people the benefit of the doubt. Honestly, like, 2020 has brought to light and made a lot of people kind of like, oh, I see what you mean by that. Or even conversations that I have with Nasir. It's like all the things that I was so worried about, the world has just put into place kind of like the examples of why I go hard or why I say certain things without me having to do anything um, yeah. in my business, for sure. Um, I wasn't surprised by anything except for, and I, and I really wasn't surprised about yesterday, but yesterday was the first time that it actually took a mental toll on me because it was to the point where when is enough enough? When is it? When are, cause when are you, when are we going? Like, it's one thing we have to be held accountable, but at the same time, like this is, this was never part of the plan. Like this, you're it. This was, this was, this isn't it. And so it's, it took a toll on me because we were finally getting somewhere and like I refused to let all of that go in vain because of you know the actions of a small group of people during the quarantine like I understood the bible but not the way I remember like praying I was just like God, there has to there has to just be something more to life than like what is like where I what's happening right now like where how did we get here and I just I was I, I would look at the old testament but it's kind of hard to read if you don't really truly understand it and so I remember thinking um if I just take religion out of it because we made religion not like not like the bible didn't make religion and like if I take religion out of it and I just look at the stories of like in the beginning and where we came from like maybe I'll have a better understanding and so even though you know i I, mean, I have faith during that time period. I really read the Bible. I read about the stories. I read about the characters. I read about, and not, I read about the people because they were people. And people don't understand that, like 2,000 years from now, there's going to, this will be the same blueprint, and but the story is going to be a little bit different because it'll be our version of the story. And if you really break it down in that way, it helped me to like lose sight of like all the things that we equate with like religion and, and how to be and just understanding that you know, the whole point of it all from the beginning, no matter what you believe was that we could collectively come together as one. And so I was reading about, you know, the history of slavery, even though I know all these things, but I remember saying to myself, I'm like, I'm kind of glad that I was a little bit jaded to even a lot of my history. I thought I knew, but I didn't know on the level that I know now, because had I known on the level that I know now, we wouldn't be on the phone having this conversation. Like I, I, I am kind of blessed that you know I was in the schools that I was in. I moved around a lot, so I remember like thinking I had a conversation with some family members once, and I was like, I don't see color, and they're like, what, the, like what? And I'm like, no, I know I'm black, but I don't really, I don't see that. So I'm kind of glad that I had that you know opportunity to like have that mindset because. You know, for me, it was like, this is bad, but this has nothing to do with, like, I, I look at the heart condition of somebody. So 
and reading a lot of different stories of the Bible, it kind of, we're like, kind of really in those times now. And what I, what I had to realize is that when you are on to something great, and that's why I said 2020 is amazing, because whenever you are at the brink of, of like, everything great is on the other side of fear. And I was told once that when the enemy knows that you are destined for greatness, like, he will hold on so tight to try to, like, and, and, I learned that, you know, distractions come from your, that come from what pulls on your heart, the things that will get, so a lot of times we think that, like, the bad thing is, like, blatantly, like, right, like, if, like, danger, but it's the opposite, like, the danger sometimes is disguised in things that we see that we don't even really realize, and so I feel like, you know, as I was making that post and it got dark, I'm like, no, power, I'm, I'm still doing this video. And, you know, I, I, I look back at my life and I look back at opportunities that I missed and I look back at relationships that could have been, you know, saved. Um, and I look back at what I what could I have done differently to fix this or to make this go this way. And it was all acting in love. And so the, the devil will use any and everything that he can to distract you. Like I woke up yesterday to a million phone calls and emails and I was like what is happening and I turned on the tv that instantly would have made me spiral or like I wouldn't have wanted to do this and I'm like no like you have to go into whatever it is that you are fearing or whatever's making that, that that's distracting you because the devil the, the enemy and what and I say devil he doesn't want you to to win and for me that's anything that's the opposite of love and so when I see the protests and I see a lot of these things happening, a lot of these young kids or just individuals in particular, they don't understand that all these things are happening to keep you here because they know that you're destined for greatness and everyone just keeps getting sucked into the distraction of, 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 of what, of what the, what, 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 what the devil wants. And for me, it's like, you're a liar because yeah, this happened. I got an email that I had to cancel my clients. I, I had to do this. I had to do that. But what's one good thing that I can do? What's something that is in my control right now? And this interview was in my control. Um, you know, that video was in my control and I don't know who I, I in my head, I'm like, I just like one of those students that I, that I, you know, I taught, maybe they'll see this, maybe they, and it was the opposite. It was people that reached out to me, like, that I hadn't even talked to in years, people from like high school, because it was a side of me that you look at me, you see this, and it's like, oh, she has it all. But it's like, no one knew that, like, I worked at Claire's and the people on social media, they see everything instantaneously. Brows are the cool thing. Like everybody does brows now, but I was like, no, like this is so much deeper than that for me. And I'm like, if someone seeing that could even see my story and see where I came from to know that, wow, you really got to put in work. Like it hit on so many different levels. And had I been caught up in my own personal ego and like what yesterday meant for my business, I would have lost sight of that. And we wouldn't be here to keep moving forward. Like, like to keep us like going, like, so that, when I say that, that's what I mean by that. The devil would love it if if you and I thought we couldn't have a conversation because there's too many, it's too loaded, there's too much going on. When the truth is, we need to be having conversations. Those of us who, like, 
You, in your words, you said you're kind of glad you weren't aware of certain parts of history because it let you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, would you have been more bitter with certain interactions if you understood like the history of America and, and how, just how like crooked it's been since the beginning? Absolutely. Especially considering that my experience as an African-American young adult and even some of my cousins or like, you know, people that I know, my experience wasn't the same as their experience going to a school that was predominantly Black. I had the freedom to just love people for who they were. And it gave me the chance to, when I can speak up and when I can say something, you have no choice but to listen to me because I am coming from a place of love because I do know both sides. So as you think about the next year, um, when we don't, we can't say what's coming next week or how are you staying encouraged for the future? My faith definitely plays a role. And for me to say, I don't think about what's to come is like the not true. I don't like, I don't worry about what's to come because every time I get into that place, I'll think about how far I have come. I'll think back at like where I was and then like, when I realize that it really isn't up to me and if I, when I'm just still and I just listen to, you know, like literally I will, I, I'll read the, I will read stories and I'm like, oh, they did this, 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 and this. Like that honestly has, it has like, it's really helped me. And to just know that like, I have the courage to, I think about the serenity parent, I, like I have the courage to change the things that I can change and I can let go of what I can't. And I would tell anybody, I would tell any young black girl, like a lot of times we stick to what's comfortable and when you don't know. And so I think that was a, a big part of my message yesterday and letting girls know, like, you can, you don't, you don't have to think small. I never thought small. So when my friends would call me apologizing for everything that, you know, what's happening right now, I'll say to them, don't apologize to me because I know you, I know your heart. I'm not going through it. Like I'm going through it, but like it's deeper than me. Like you see me, but I need you to see every, I need you to see this as a whole. And I need you to see that it's hard. I don't like the word white privilege because in order to know that you're privileged to something, you have to under, like you have to see the difference. And so like for my son, he doesn't, when we would take him certain places or I remember his beats got stolen. He's like, I'm just going to go to lost and found. I'm like, no, honey, they're gone. Like he didn't understand that things were different because he was accustomed to doing the right thing and being a certain way that when he got into high school, he hadn't had that experience. And so for my friends, I have a soft side because I'm like, it's not your fault that you didn't have this experience. But at the same time, until we acknowledge now, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong, but because you didn't do anything wrong and you know you can keep going that's kind of why it nothing does change because they don't realize that like you know you got this position because of you know your of this 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 and this and they and, and that's life to them like they didn't have the same things so it kind of sucks but at the same time it's like we have to get to a point where you understand that you know you have to play a part in saying that like, this is, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. I, I hear you 100%. And the first time I heard, I think 
I've seen the post, so I know there's a lot of people who push back at the idea of white privilege because they say, my life wasn't privileged. And I, I remember that was my initial reaction probably three years ago when I heard the term, because I thought we were on, um, like we were on, uh, I forget what it's called, but like I got free school lunch for a while because we were below that income level. And we, you know, my parents didn't own a house till I was older. And so my thought was like, how, how do you know that I have privilege? And when I realized that the term means you you had a different experience going through life because there weren't assumptions made about you based on the way you look. That's what it is. Um, it, it clicked in a totally different way. And what I hear you saying is you don't have to feel guilty if like if if you didn't play a part in something, then, OK, don't feel guilty and don't let your actions come out of guilt. But just because you didn't do any overt wrongdoing doesn't absolve you of the responsibility going forward, because now with our 2020 vision, we know that the system's broken. Even if individuals that we are in relationship with weren't overt racist or can't trace their family back to slave owners in the South, like that, that you still have responsibility now to do the right thing and to speak up if you see something wrong or to you know, use whatever influence you have to, to shine a light on things. So that's, I, that's really powerful to hear you say that that's how you're encouraging your clients and friends. It's like, okay, you're awake to it now. Don't be motivated out of guilt, but also don't think that you, that we can just sit back and not do anything. Right. Because what people don't understand is like, you know, yes, my friends didn't, you know, in, in, like invertly, like do something to me or to like my ancestors, but we all grow up and we get older. And so it's like, you know, like my friends may say, well, my parents aren't racist, but like if your father was a CEO and then he didn't hire black people and not because he didn't mean to not hire black people, he just in his mind that the, the business didn't look like that. So you adapt to how you're taught. And so it keeps going and going and going. And so then, you know, you can't want all the things that make us who we are and not understand where that came from, if that makes sense. And and part of that is, you know, the music, the culture, the, the dressing, hair extensions, spray tan, whatever, whatever the case may be, all of that came from somewhere. Like, I remember spray tanning girls that wanted to look like, I want to look darker than you, I want to be your color. It's like, okay, cool. But you can't, you got to understand, like, psychologically like how that makes us feel or like we like what like like it's like you can be a part of it but don't just don't just take it like yeah a lot of times we're scared of what doesn't what 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 challenges us because we're scared that like maybe it'll be taken away from you not realizing that like there's room for for love for all of us and it go it goes back so much deeper than like where we are now and i'm just i'm lucky that i have friends and allies and just everyone around me no matter who you are that you know they ride for me they ride for my business you know i see them out marching i see all of these things and we we come together and it's nothing and at the same time i even have to say to some of you know my black people like no like it's okay to it's okay to end like when do it's it's okay like it's not a bad thing and we all have to just like like play our part like there's white privilege 
But at the same time, like no one's going to hand you anything either. Like I've had conversations with some of my young aesthetic students that like they think that they go to school, get a YouTube channel and where I listen to Cardi B, they're going to be like it, like famous, like stars. And it's like, no, that's not real life. Like there's levels to everything. So it's like no side is better than the other. But at the same time, like we got to somehow meet in the middle. And some of the issues that like are the bigger issues are like, political issues and things like that that keep us controlled and so voting and doing all those things will definitely that could be that's to honestly that's a big part just like just vote I hear you saying that there's there's room for everyone but it takes honestly seeing showing up honestly like doing the work of seeing another person for the whole of who they are and not just assuming well you must be this way or you must be this way because that those assumptions I think go both directions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, What is the last good book you've read? Um, Who is this man by John Ortberg? I think his name is. Yeah. Um, Yep. It's a, it's about, yeah. (laughs) I did that. That was the last Bible study we did before church had to close and stuff. And I need to finish it. It's a, it's a good look at the life of Jesus who I think, Talk about seeing someone, seeing someone honestly. Like I think a lot of people show up with an idea of what he is and yeah. don't really know. So who is this man by John Orberg? I love it. Okay. And then lastly, what mark do you want to leave on the world or how do you want to be remembered? Two things. One thing that like I say to my son all the time, and it was really cool that in a in an article for his school paper, that those moments when I was like, you don't know if you're doing a good job. You don't know if you're reaching people. You don't know, like, when, I, when those little nuggets I tell my sisters or family members, and I'll hear it one day. Um, a saying that I always say to my son is, if you want it, it's already yours. And um, that's something that I've said to him, like, forever. And so to hear him, like, post that or, like, in an article that he did with the school paper, I thought that was really cool. And another quote um, that I heard right before I went to aesthetic school and I wrote it in my journal and I just always remembered it is, um, it's never too late to be what you could have been. Friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Constance MacLatham. I'm grateful for the opportunity that I had to connect with her this summer, that she was willing to engage in conversation with me, and for the chance to listen again as I edited this to share with you in podcast form. Constance, thank you for being patient with my fumbling questions um, as I wrap my head and heart around topics that my eyes were closed too, which is embarrassing to say, but I share that because if you are like me and you had a similar awakening in the last year or so, then I just want to encourage you that we can keep listening and learning and and then doing. We can go a step beyond listening and learning. We can actually work to see change. And Constance, I am really looking forward to seeing what you do next and more importantly, what God does in and through you. And to my listeners, you know, I'm making these edits the day after Prince Harry and Meghan Markle shared with Oprah what they went through before Meghan had their son. And as they chose to step down from royal duties as part of the royal family of England, Prince Harry having been born a prince and Meghan marrying into it. And she was the first person of color to do so. 
And tomorrow, jury selection begins in the trial of Derek Chauvin, the cop charged with second-degree murder in the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. We can't look away from the issues of our time, but we can be what are known as bridge builders, even and especially if it seems risky to do so. We can listen to a variety of voices and we can do the hard work of having conversations and asking questions instead of just changing the subject or talking about more superficial things. We can be peacemakers instead of peacekeepers. One of the reasons that we do Tea Time with Trish is to learn from one another. I want to see different examples of people using their lives to shine light into darkness, to stand up for what is right, and to not just accept brokenness as the way it's always been. And believe me, I know that is easier said than done. I'm encouraged by people like author Jasmine Holmes, who says in her book, Mother to Son, which I cannot recommend highly enough. She says, some people don't want a bridge because division is like their bread and butter. They like battle lines because they're easier than clasping hands across the aisle, and they will hate you for trying to hold their hand. Well, friends, I hope that you are willing to be brave and to clasp hands across all different kinds of aisles. I hope that you will walk with me in learning from the past and that you're willing to imagine a new way forward because we can hold hands with each other and with our loved ones and take it one step at a time. In the interest of time, I did not take questions for this week's Tea Time, but they will be back in Season 2, and you can submit your queries on makeup, motherhood, and the Trish Mix via direct message on Instagram. You can email me at trisha at trishaclarkmakeup.com. You can even leave a voice message here for the podcast. I might play your question before I answer it. In the show notes, I will link Jasmine Holmes' book, Mother to Son. I really think it should be required reading for everyone. She also has a new book coming out called Carved in Ebony that is about influential um, Black Christian women, and that's available for pre-order. I will also link to Cecily R. Smith, who is the midwife and activist doing such good work with Abide Women's Services in Texas, um, as well as our guest, Constance's social media accounts, so you can follow her journey of reopening. And you can always join us and follow along on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just subscribing and sharing episodes helps us so much. Thank you, friends, for joining me for this Tea Time conversation with Constance McLatham. I hope you were as inspired as I was by her example and that you go and use your gifts and keep moving forward in faith, trusting God for the next step, even when you don't see the whole path illuminated in front of you. I'll see you next time, friends, on Tea Time with Trish. Go in peace.